0: Hi, friends. It's me, Georgia. You're listening to Inherited. Let's take a walk. Jamestown, Rhode Island. August. Dusk. I pick through the long beach grasses and come to a crouch right by the water's edge. As I squat, my boots sink a little into the damp silt. 2020 has been, well, you know, a complete dumpster fire of unwelcome changes. But now that I'm back in my tiny hometown, at least some things stay the same. In Jamestown, I can produce this podcast from my childhood bedroom while my favorite teddy bear looks on. Here at the salt marsh, a few minutes walk from my parents' house. It's peaceful. The sun is low, a golden orb in the sky. Waves lap ever so slightly at shattered clamshells. Seaweed twists like eels just under the glassy surface, while crabs and gulls joust along the shoreline. Jamestown, my home, is an island, a small one, and the waters around it are rising. As our changing climate warms the air and lifts sea levels, storms are an increasing threat for my little town, which sits snugly on the edge of the Atlantic. Jamestown has weathered rough storms before, like the hurricane of 1938, whose winds shattered a window so forcefully at my grandparents' house that a 4-inch shard of glass still impaled in the opposite wall. They framed it. But as far as coastal communities go, Jamestown is pretty fortunate. We're far north enough that we often escape the worst of hurricane season, and nowadays most residents can more than afford to get storm windows. Still, it's hard for me to stay here and not think about what my town will look like someday maybe in 20 years, or 70, or 200. Someday, when our environment starts to feel a little more like the tropics, when disease-carrying mosquitoes and ticks breed exponentially, when the marshes flood low-lying areas and cleave the land into three distinct islands, when our gardens wilt and char in the unrelenting sun. These physical effects of climate change are subtle on Jamestown, so far. Our shores are maybe slightly smaller, our winters with less and less snow. But, in a way, the worst part of climate change is already here. It's the way climate affects our mental health, our ability to envision a future for ourselves and our planet. And this effect isn't just in Jamestown. It's everywhere. This episode is about the climate burden we carry as young people. Today, you'll hear the story from a person who's weathered the effects of the climate crisis on her home and community. And next week, you'll hear from those weathering its effect on their minds. Our first story is from a young person named Jenna. She lived in a small coastal town, one that felt a lot like mine, until the storm hit. This is Inherited, episode two, The Sky is Falling.
1: Hey, it's Juliana. I'll pick up the story from here. First, let's meet Jenna. I
2: grew up in the Rockaways. I've lived in this neighborhood my entire life. I feel very tied to Rockaway. I think a lot of people that grew up here do. There's something very special about growing up in a small town by the beach. I mean, technically Rockaway is part of New York City, it's part of Queens, but this area is very small. It has a small town feeling, even though we're part of this huge, massive
1: city. Catch a southbound A train and ride it to the very last stop. That's when you'll get to Jenna's home, an area called the Rockaways. This sliver of land is connected to Brooklyn by a thin bridge on one end, jutting out from Long Island on the other. My grandparents and my mom actually grew up right across that bridge in Sheepshead Bay. But the Rockaways, with quiet streets and salty air, feels a world away from the city it's a part of. Rockaway is what's called a barrier island. It's the first line of defense, so they say, from storms. The Rockaways are only about eight feet above sea level, butting up against the tides of the Atlantic Ocean. This area is the perfect place for a Brooklynite seeking a suntan, a surfer seeking a wave, or a hurricane seeking land. I was 15 when Hurricane Sandy hit. On the night of October 28, 2012, Jenna was sitting down to dinner when a loud noise blared through the streets. As we're eating, we hear the sirens go off
2: because this entire peninsula was ordered to evacuate. These sirens were nothing new. Jenna had heard them before. The year before Hurricane Sandy was Hurricane Irene. It was a storm that was predicted to cause a lot of damage in New York. And they said, oh, there's a huge storm coming. You have to evacuate. So everyone did. And then nothing happened down here, at least. So when Hurricane Sandy was coming and all of the weather reports were saying the storm surge is double Irene, that didn't really make
1: sense to people. A storm surge is the bulge of water carried off the ocean by the strong winds of a hurricane as it approaches land. But the previous year, during Irene, a storm surge never arrived, even though the Rockaways had put a lot of effort into preparing for it. It felt underwhelming, like a boy who cried wolf kind of situation. So this time around, many of Jenna's neighbors were skeptical Instead of evacuating, they stayed. They boarded up their windows and sandbagged their front porches. Then they settled in for what they thought would be a glorified rainstorm. But Jenna's dad was an emergency management worker for the city, and their family was extra cautious. So they left. About 6 p.m., I get in my car, my bags are packed
2: ready, and we go to my grandma's house in Long Island. A lot of people that I know Evacuated, but a lot of people that I know stayed. And I have asthma, so if I were to have like an asthma attack or something, I would need to go to the hospital. So I physically could not stay here um, in Rockaway because emergency services would be cut off. I just remember listening to the radio that night and hearing the wind outside and it's raining, and then you hear the power go out. You hear any device that was running shut down. We were watching the TV. It shuts off in the middle of a sentence. But the worst of it hasn't come yet. So we kind of went to sleep not knowing what we were going to wake up to. You
0: might have heard this rallying cry. Climate change is a man-made problem with a feminist solution. Good, right? It's the action-inspired call of Mothers of Invention, a climate justice podcast like you've never heard before. Join former Irish president Mary Robinson, comedian Maeve Higgins, and series producer Thamali Kaudikara as they celebrate Black, Brown, and Indigenous leaders all over the world fighting from the front lines. I, for one, absolutely loved listening to one of Mothers of Invention's most recent
1: episodes, The Very Nature of Ownership, which examines alternatives to extractive capitalism. What a feat to seamlessly meld humor, boundary-pushing ideas, and climate justice. I didn't realize it could be done, but it can be. And Mothers of Invention does it so well. For smart laughs, climate knowledge, and new ideas, go listen to Mothers of Invention wherever you find your podcasts. Before we get back to Inherited, we want to tell you about another show for young listeners we think you'll really love. From YR Media and PRX's Radiotopia, Adultish is a mix of storytelling and hilarious no-filter advice with guests like author Adrian Marie Brown, singer JoJo, and comedian W. Kamau Bell. And as it so happens, our very own Georgia is
0: also a producer for the show. Honestly, I've been having a blast working on Adultish this season. Easily my favorite part has been collaborating with the hosts, who are fellow 20-somethings, Nigel Turner and Mark Nguyen, and they are truly delightful, extremely smart and funny human beings. They break down topics like imposter syndrome, the election, and the importance of setting boundaries, something we should all be doing. Plus, if you listen, who knows? You might hear me chiming in too. Check it out at adultishpodcast.com.
2: The day after Hurricane Sandy, we had no power, so we turned on the radio. The biggest thing we heard was water. There was water everywhere. There was water in the streets. There was water in people's basements. And the other big thing we heard was fire. There were fires in the rockways, and that was the scariest thing because they didn't say where.
1: The fire started about 11 o'clock when the hurricane was at its height. By the time firefighters made their way here, water pipes were bursting and there was little pressure in the hydrants. They laid hoses in the rising water.
2: There were fires in Breezy Point and there were fires in Bell Harbor, which is where I grew up. My neighbor, two doors down from us, their house burned to the ground. The entire block, one block over, 20 houses burned. My neighbors next door were literally throwing rocks at the window of their next-door neighbors because their house was on fire, trying to get their attention. They got out, but they had to swim through flood water
1: to get out. The Rockaways Jenna knew and loved were gone. The remnants of happy lives living by the beach were splintered. In some cases, literally. Like the boardwalk, where Jenna had gone on Sundays with her family. So. The storm surge took the boardwalk,
2: threw it about eight blocks, and it landed in my driveway.
1: Jenna's neighbors and friends had scattered, seeking safe housing and shelter away from the place they called home. Meanwhile, debris from their pre-storm lives littered the roads. They just described it as a war zone. Like, there
2: was just devastation everywhere. Everywhere you looked, there was Garbage on the street. There were remnants of people's lives on the street couches, family photos, childhood bikes, wagons, shovels, and pails because it's a beach community.
1: The Red Cross reports that 53 people died in New York as a result of Hurricane Sandy, but official reports don't always account for the many lives lost as a result of disasters. Down here,
2: there were some people, like my mailman died. I just remember crying a lot. I remember a lot of my family crying. It was really deeply upsetting to know that there was this devastation in my community. And also that it could have been us. We found embers on our porch. It
1: could have been our house that burned to the ground as well. Jenna's family was relatively lucky. They'd evacuated and stayed safe. Their house weathered the storm, beyond damage to the first floor in a flooded basement. But disasters like Sandy ripple through all aspects of life, making a sense of normal feel completely unattainable. Even for those whose houses and loved ones were spared in the storm, recovery brought on intense hardships. Losing a sense of security can feel devastating and destabilizing. I had friends that stayed in their house the whole time,
2: and they themselves, 15, 16-year-olds, had to grow up and help with the relief effort. They helped their parents clean out
1: the basement that was full of sludge. Everyone had to grow up. At 15, Jenna couldn't return home. Because of her asthma, her parents wouldn't let her help with the relief efforts in person.
2: I didn't go back to school after Sandy, because I couldn't move back into my home. It took about three weeks for me to go back to school, and
1: I actually transferred schools. At first, the situation felt temporary, but over time it became clear the recovery process was not going to happen quickly.
2: I was also starting to get mad about the things that weren't being done. In the three or four months that had passed, there was still dirt everywhere. There was still mud everywhere. There was still garbage everywhere. People were still cleaning out their homes, cleaning out their lives. The relief effort didn't come for years. It took some of my friends up until this year in 2020 to be able to move back into their house after Hurricane Sandy, which happened in 2012.
1: And not everyone recovered at the same pace. The time it takes to get past a storm like this can look really different depending on how much money you have to work with. This area is relatively wealthy. It's
2: mostly upper middle class, a lot of working people, a lot of nurses, teachers, firefighters, police officers. In my experience in recovering from Hurricane Sandy, the people that I know, the people that I've talked to are mainly limited to my immediate community. You didn't hear about people in public housing. That's not what the majority of news was focusing on. Meanwhile, in the city, NYCHA Housing, the New York City Housing Authority, public housing lies in a floodplain. The Rockaways itself has the highest concentration of public housing. And these people had mold problems before the storm. After the storm, these mold problems got worse. NYCHA facilities, the ones that are in the floodplains, were relying on the city to help them recover after the storm. NYCHA didn't get their FEMA grant until about three years after the storm hit.
1: Like all aspects of life, natural disasters tend to find the cracks of injustice in society, affecting those who have already been impacted most by systemic racism, economic inequality, and housing discrimination. We see this reflected in the disproportionate impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on Black and brown people, in the enormous effort it's taken to rebuild Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, in how the physical and psychological factors of disasters are amplified for renters and service workers and undocumented folks, how many have no place to stay when their homes are destroyed, how eight years after Hurricane Sandy, many still feel its effects. Contrary to popular belief, disasters are not the great equalizers. Instead, they lay bare the inequalities already splitting our society. So,
2: in my community, people were mostly recovered within a year after the storm. Families like mine had some funds to be able to kickstart their recovery. To help their kids get back into their schools to help their families get back into their homes, to get back to whatever normal is. People in public housing didn't have this luxury. And that's something that I didn't learn about until I got to college, until
1: years after Hurricane Sandy. Jenna was learning firsthand about the injustice of natural disasters. Not just how storms, fires, or floods unfold, But what happens after them? When a hurricane hits and people are asked to evacuate, many don't have places to go. When homes are destroyed, renters don't get insurance payouts to find new homes. When mold problems get worse, not everyone has health care to cover the health outcomes. When schools close, some kids cannot find another school to attend. For many, a full recovery takes years. For some, It will never arrive.
2: If there's a major disaster, what are you supposed to do? What happens if your home gets destroyed? Where are you supposed to go? You're supposed to find another apartment, you're supposed to put down a security deposit, pay your first month's rent. What if you were working in a business and it didn't reopen immediately after the storm? What are you supposed to do?
1: It took a personal experience with storm recovery for Jenna to start asking these questions. But frontline communities have been asking them for decades. Over the course of these decades, natural disasters have only intensified, becoming more frequent. It's not some fluke of nature that storms are getting stronger, droughts longer, wildfires faster. Yes, all of these natural events have been part of the Earth's climate system for millennia, but not like this. In the 19th century, the odds of a storm surge flooding New York City were once every 100 to 400 years. Now the odds are once every four years. So we're well past due for another Sandy-like flooding. Meanwhile, scientists definitively attributed part of Sandy's intensity to the climate crisis, confirming that climate change caused over $2 billion to the city of New York in economic damage alone during the hurricane. And just this year, the city was reclassified as a humid subtropical climate zone due to its steadily climbing temperatures. New York City itself experienced 12 inches of sea
2: level rise since 1904. You can't say that climate change caused this hurricane, but you can certainly say that climate
1: change amplified the effects of this hurricane. There are millions of Jennas around the world, People do not have the luxury of thinking about climate change in the future tense. People who are gearing up for a potentially lethal hurricane season in the middle of a global pandemic. People who are seeing the drastic effects of climate change in their backyards right now.
2: I've read the reports by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. I've read the reports by the United States government on climate change, the fourth national climate assessment. I'm terrified. I'm terrified for my friends and family that live out here. Are we questioning why we're living down here? We have things like sea level rise. We have the warming of the oceans. We have the warming of the atmosphere. And these three things together increase the potential of a storm to become stronger. So climate change itself is not going to cause a storm, but the impacts of climate change are now fostering a stronger storm. There are things that scientists and peer-reviewed journals have connected to climate change that impacted the formation of Hurricane Sandy and may have amplified its effects and hence amplify the
1: devastation to communities like mine. In the years since Hurricane Sandy, even more damaging storms have decimated communities in the Caribbean and United States. Irma, Harvey, Maria, Laura, formerly innocuous names that now hold devastating meaning. But part of what makes Sandy relevant today is that eight years later, some people affected by the storm are still recovering. And all the storms since then have added millions of people to the ranks of those whose lives have been upended. Permanently, A storm much worse than Hurricane
2: Sandy could happen again. Hurricane Sandy was not nearly as bad as it could have been. That's the scary part. It wasn't a Category 5 hurricane. It was Category 1, Category 2 at its highest. And yet, it caused $19 billion of damage to New York City alone. It could have been much
1: worse. And that's what scares me. Jenna's story of Hurricane Sandy is filled with loss. Her life was upended, her hometown destroyed. She, like many of her neighbors, suffers the emotional consequences of climate change.
2: I think I immediately connected Sandy to climate change because I was somebody who was already aware of the issue. I don't think that's the case in this community in general. There are some people who, don't take the climate science very seriously down here for a variety of reasons. I think it's a very difficult thing to deal with mentally, emotionally. It's very hard to think about the area where you live maybe underwater in 150, 20 years. It's very hard to think that as you're getting through such a devastating disaster, that
1: something like this could happen again it's really important that we don't rush the story of Hurricane Sandy. That's why we're leaving you here for now. We have to sit with the realities of this crisis in order to take our next step. We have to accept that these disasters could happen again. We have to feel those heavy feelings. They serve a purpose. And that's because, remarkably, there's something else on the horizon. Jenna's story doesn't end here. Instead, in the face of immense grief and fear, Jenna wrote a whole other chapter. In our next episode, we'll hear about Jenna's new chapter and introduce you to some more storytellers. Their voices will help us explore how our generation can move forward, how we can fight back.
2: I didn't have to wait to get a degree. I didn't have to wait to start my organization when I was 35 or 40 or something. I could start changing the narrative at 15.
0: So next week, we're changing the narrative. We'll see you then. Inherited is a production of Critical Frequency and is created, reported, produced, written, and sound designed by me, Georgia Wright, and Juliana Bradley, with editing and production help from Amy Westervelt and Reka Murthy. Thank you so much to our storyteller for this episode, Jenna Topaldo. Music by Rafael Atias and Storyblocks and Sounds from Storyblocks. Find us at InheritedPod.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at InheritedPod. Listen to this episode and the rest of the season on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. See you next week.